Uh, I'd like to uh, welcome everyone to the PG of Alberta Education Series podcast. Our guest today is uh, legendary teacher Paul Horton, I think 14-time PG of Alberta finalist, teacher of the year, and three-time winner. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, and uh, yeah, so so basically uh, today we're here just to, to pick uh, Paul's brain and uh, just learn a little bit more about uh, teaching, uh, learn a little bit more about the experiences that Paul's had, and, ho and hopefully we can uh, learn some information that can uh, be uh, applied for, for everyone. Um, so first of all, Paul, just uh, want to thank you for coming on today. Um, basically, yeah. I was just wondering how you got into uh, into the game of golf. Yes, uh, well, going back to, I guess, my younger years, I didn't really fully get into golf till I was about 16. My dad got me into it um, a couple of years prior, 14, 15, and played a couple rounds on a par three course. Uh, so there wasn't much golf, although there is a, a photo of me in my diapers with a golf club. So there yeah. was maybe that seed was planted earlier than that. Um, so I really got hit, hooked on the game at 16. I was heavy into hockey at that time and soccer. So to play, I played a high level um, hockey and soccer at, at the same time. So they were six days a week sports. And then I got hooked on golf. The bug bit me. And I got consumed by the game. So I ended up going to Mississauga Golf Club. Um, I couldn't afford to buy balls at the range or the, the basic range to go hit balls because I wanted to hit too many balls. And so I, I asked for a job. I said, you don't have to pay me. I'll just, I just want to use your practice facility. I'll work for practice kind of thing. Anyways, they paid me $500 a month. I looked after the power cart fleet uh, back. This is back in the mid 70s. And so my day started from four o'clock till 10. So it was a four till 10 every day. And I had, I had the whole day up until four to, to do what I needed to do. So every other day I would practice and then the days in between I'd go play. So um, I, I basically found it in the dirt. My dad helped me along to get started and just beating a lot of balls and, and doing a lot of short game and putting. So I would practice for basically eight hours and hit a thousand balls every other day, but I, I, I mix it up with short game and, and things like that. So I didn't, you know, wear my hands out too badly, but uh, anyways, I got, I got fairly good um, in, in fairly short order. So in a couple of years, I started shooting in the sixties and um, I had some interest in, I wasn't sure what the golf business was all about. And uh, I uh, was uncertain uh, as to what I wanted to do. I didn't play a lot of junior golf because I started late. Um, anyways, I, I, there was a 38 year old assistant pro in the pro shop at Mississauga at that time. And I didn't want to be like him, but I wanted to be like the head pro who was, you know, making a decent living and, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, living a life that, that, uh, I looked up to. So, um, I wasn't sure I wanted to get into the business. I was asked to turn pro at 19. Um, and I, I took a year of commerce uh, at the U of T because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then I did have an interest in golf course architecture, which you may want to talk about later. But um, anyways, once I decided I did a year of uh, graphic design for this company and realized that I got away from golf for a year and I wanted to do something with golf. So the, 
the bug had the magnet drew me back to the business. And once I decided to turn pro, I, I gave myself 10 years to, to become a head pro. And, and on my 10th year, I did that. So I, I had a goal when I started and I, I reached that initial goal. And then from there, things changed, you know, in terms of my, my direction and specialties and things like that. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So uh, what, what brought you to Alberta? Uh, good question. Um, I started out in Toronto, so I was at Mississauga in the, I, I spent four years there. So I worked the power carts and then moved up to the pro shop. Um, and I, I moved over to Summit Golf Club, which is in North Toronto in Richmond Hill and worked four years there with, with Ron Rayner. And Ron used to be the head pro at the Mayfair Club in Edmonton back in the 60s. And he said, there's a there's a job opening up in Calgary at the Calgary Golf and Country Club, and I think you should apply for it. So I applied, and, and Tom Griner, who's the head pro there now, um, still there. Tom and I, uh, we came out separately, but we were hired together. So they flew us out for interviews. I didn't know Tom was getting interviewed, and I was going into the interview, and Tom was coming out of his. I said, you know, coincidence, you know, so how are you doing? And, and, um, it was, uh, they ended up hiring us both. And then I spent five years at the country club and, and ended up moving from there to country Hill. So it was really the job at the country club that brought me to, to Calgary back in 1985. So Tom and I are, are good buddies and, and, uh, actually roomed together. Uh, I had an apartment in the early years back in those mid eighties. Awesome. And then you went to country Hills. Is that correct? Yeah. So I country Hills was just getting started. So, um, I was hired as the director of golf there and initially to sell memberships. Uh, the golf course was being built from scratch. So as a wannabe architect back prior to turning pro and, and maybe just to precede that I was back in high school, I was into drafting and things like that. And, uh, I was caught myself. Once I got the golf bug, I was, I was routing 18 hole plans for golf courses. Just, just, my in my own imagination right i wasn't hired to do anything but i was just routing um 18 holes and and i kind of knew what what it took in terms of uh, me as a player what what might entice me to put a bunker here or this and that there so um so i had an interest in architecture and i was going to take a year of commerce at the u of t university of toronto and then four years of landscape architecture and then two years of golf course architecture down in Texas. And oh, I decided after that first year of commerce that I, I'd become a designer like Jack Nicklaus. So I didn't have to go to school yeah. and do all that. So I, I, I decided to jump into the, the PGA. So I joined the PGA in 1981. And um, so I, I went from the country club, Calgary golf and country club to country Hills. And um, I was there for four years. So it was pretty cool for me to see the, the property being built from the ground up and how many miles of pipe that go underneath and, and the infrastructure involved in, in building, I had no clue on the, the, the education behind how all that worked. I just knew how I like to see golf holes. And, and so it was really good experience for me to sort of see, see that develop uh, from the ground up. And um, I ended up, you know, becoming more of a, a GM at that time. So I was spending more time in the office and on the phone and I enjoyed being with the people and teaching. I taught a lot as a, as a director of golf, I probably taught 20 hours a week 
as a director of golf, enjoyed the teaching side of it. And I was getting pulled away from that and the being with the people and, and whatnot. So I, I decided to open my own golf academy in uh, the spring of 94. And so that's how I, I sort of branched off. I could see a specialization need for teaching and, and decided to, to jump down that path. So, so it started as more uh, you're into design and then with your role, you started to develop more of a, a love for teaching and kind of prompted you to go that route. Yeah, I wasn't at first sure if I'd love teaching 12 hours a day for many days in a row. And it turns out I did. And, and I, I had a passion initially for that. And I still have an interest in architecture, but, um, you know, my path changed in terms of, and my passions changed towards teaching and helping people. And, and I got a lot of satisfaction out of, you know, seeing people progress and, and improve the game. And, and so that set me on a journey to, um, basically how can we make this game easier to learn, teach and master. Right. So it's, it's an endless quest, right? So, as you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the education side of it is never ending. And, and so there's always, there's always twists and turns. And, and, uh, so I'm, I'm passionate about educating myself all the time and in, in what, what new down the road is coming and how can I get better myself? So. Absolutely. Um, so because, because of your, all your opportunities, I think it'd be really, uh, interesting for the, the listeners to kind of, um, get some insight. So you've had obviously the opportunity to uh, teach a lot of um, high level uh, tour players and also high level amateur players, uh, college players trying to kind of make their way into the same progression. So uh, yeah, if you could give any kind of insight into maybe the difference between teaching a teaching pro and, and maybe a high level amateur and uh, different approaches that you found have worked uh, through that process over the years. Yeah. So are you referring to like tour pros and high yeah. level amateurs versus the average yeah. player? I, I imagine like specifically, I imagine it might be a little different if you got uh, like a Stephen Ames of the world, who's a bit, obviously he's established, he's made his way and he's looking for advice versus someone who's trying to like launch his coll collegiate career. Sure. Um, and that there's a good story there with, with Stephen, uh, when I worked with Golf Canada at the Calgary Center, um, you know, Stephen would often come over to hit balls during the wintertime, and he was working with Sean Foley at the time. And Sean and I know Sean pretty well, and, and I was another set of eyes for Sean. So when Stephen would come out in those early years, I would be another set of eyes to just make sure that he's, he's doing what Sean wanted him to do. And so we had a connection at that point in time, but I wasn't fully working with him. I, I just uh, sort of make sure he's, he's going in the right direction. And I was coaching a couple of, you know, high level junior players that one went to the UCLA and one went to the University of Houston. So two top level schools. Um, and they were playing with Steven uh, uh, in basically a practice round for a, a junior tournament uh, up at the Hamptons. And the two kids were on a birdie fest and sort of running over Stephen with all these birdies and Stephen was struggling at the time. And, and, uh, they, so Stephen was asking a bunch of questions about how, uh, about me and, and some of the awards I won. And, and the kids just told him, he said, it's not about the awards. It's about all his players are winning. Right. 
And so I don't know what the kids shot, but they, they both shot well under par. Um, and basically I got a text from Steven that night saying that, have you got time to see me tomorrow? Right. Which was a Monday. And, and, uh, I got a text from, from Patrick Murphy, one of the kids and said, I think you might have a new student coming your way. So I met Steven on the range and, and, you know, the approach really with a, a tour player versus, um, um, you know, regular 15 handicap or a high level amateurs, you need to get to know the player. You need to get to know um, as much about them as you can. And with tour players, uh, you need to show confidence in what you do. So they, most tour players, and a lot of them really don't know the swing that well. And maybe some know more so now because of all the technology that's out there. But, you know, back in the day, like, you know, I knew more than Steven knew, but, but he could teach me a lot just with what he does. Um, so I'm always learning from my students, whether it's a 15 handicap or a tour player, I try to learn what I can from each of those students. And the process to teach them doesn't change that much other than you need to show confidence in, in what you're doing and so that every player needs a plan. And so, uh, you know, when Steven came to me, it was more about, okay, what are, what are the pitfalls? What's going on? So where are the weaknesses? And, and going through that and, and understanding that and then assessing the swings. You, you, you sit down and assess the swing and say, here's what I see. Here's why you're doing these. Here's why these shots show up. And, and then you build a plan from there. And, and I remember playing uh, two years prior to that, played with Stephen at the country club in Calgary. And we were playing with a, a student from Red Deer who I coached who, who went to Old Miss. He was a high level junior player and Stephen wanted to, to, to get to know this kid. So we started playing and, and Stephen wanted some help. So I gave him a tip on the seventh hole and it, luckily for me, it worked. And then, um, you know, so he started to hit the ball better. It was pretty simple and yeah. simple is usually better. And yeah. so we played and, after we finished on 18, Stephen said, let's go to the range and, and hit some balls. And I said, well, we're really here for Matt. Um, you know, and Stephen said, oh, he's young. He'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> so he was, Stephen was more interested in, hey, give me some help here, right? And so at that point, I know he was still working with Foley and, and he, he begged me to go in and do some work with him. And I saw an issue in his grip that, you know, it, the grips could be very sensitive to any player especially to our players. And, you know, his, one of his issues was he was always shut at the top and didn't like to hook the ball. And so I drove, I dove in after uh, not wanting to. And then I said, okay, here we go. And I jumped in and Tom and some of his staff came out to watch the session. And we were there on the range for about an hour and a half. And he, uh, you know, once I adjusted his grip, the very first swing was dead, dead square at the top. And he said, I haven't felt like that since I was a kid, since I was 16 years old, which was a good feeling for him. And that's how sort of, I guess, another seed was planted to sort of get a coach uh, to get to, to work with him. But um, the process is it's, you know, they have issues, they have tendencies just like everybody else. So they're not much different other than they're more skilled and more consistent. And, um, you know, there's, there's work to be done, but it's, you know, you, you need to be sure of what you're doing. You can, if you're uncertain, you know, you, you've got to, 
make sure you don't go down the wrong path, um, which, which can be done. But, uh, you know, when he came to me, he was 260 driving distance, 260 and 50% fairways, right? And at the end of it all, he was 293 average and, and 73% fairway. So there was a, a quantifiable difference there in what we did. And, and so we, we changed a lot at setup um, as you might do with, with most players. Um, and, you know, the, the high level amateur player is, is just, they're not as consistent and they don't putt as well. You know, I think the, the difference with all levels is, is putting. So the, the high level college player might think they're a good putter, but there's a massive difference at the tour level, uh, just in the putting stats, right? Ball striking, they might be the same, but, uh, so you'd want to, you know, build your program around where, where the weaknesses are and, and often they're in, in the putting side of things that they overlook. Gotcha. I don't so, know if I'm babbling on here, but no, no, it's great. It's great. So, uh, no, I, I mean, I, I've had, uh, we had that brief conversation before about this and I, I find it, uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, uh, so is it fair to say that, uh, that a lot of it is, uh, to, kind of like good analysis, breaking down what actually needs to be done and displaying confidence that that's the right move. And then ultimately building relationships uh, at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, it's, it's all about relationships. You need to build that relationship and the trust. So the initial, whether it's a, a you know, high handicapper or a tour player, it's building the trust. Uh, they're coming to you for a reason. Um, they've made, finally made that step and now it's, it's up to you to build some of that trust. So, um, it's, it's not, you know, there's a technical component to it. There's, there's a relationship component and, and there's the, there's all the other factors involved. So it's, you know, I learned long ago that it's not, it's not just about your golf swing, you know, golf swings don't win tournaments. It's the players that win tournaments. Um, so you need a, a full plan for that player in, in terms of what, what needs to change technically to help their desired results. And then there's a mind and emotional component to it. And, and, um, you know, how do they handle themselves in terms of when things are off and when things are on and, and learning, um, you know, how you can build a full package for them so that, you know, there's nutrition, there's fitness, there's, um, all the other stuff involved outside of the technique at the swing, right? Would you, would you say the, uh, the mental, the mental requirements, like the, uh, the ability to, to handle pressure and, and stuff like that, that, uh, becomes more important as the player, uh, becomes more accomplished, like a better player that becomes more how to, to play the game versus how to swing a golf club. Yeah, I would say it, it, it is probably higher. Um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety at, at all levels. And uh, as you go up, uh, you know, in the different levels from the, the college player to the, the tour level, um, you know, you're, you're playing for your, that's your life. I mean, that's your, not your life, but your, it's your work. It's what you make a living at. And it's, it's a hard grind, especially to sort of make it. So it's a hard road to get, get to the, the show. Um, but, and there's all kinds of anxiety and there's different kinds of, um, uh, anxiety, whether it's, 
you know, putting anxieties or tee shot anxieties, or there's different forms of it, right? Where it just might be uh, not being able to form perform under the under the pressure, or it might be something else that's more deeply rooted than that. And I think all players have some of it, but but uh, you need to again know the the person and by the relationship and and know how to apply some some um, training where they can develop a stronger link in their chain basically or you know the you're only as strong as your weakest link and so when I take players out on the course I might try to yank their chain a little bit to see if I can break them down yeah to see if they can handle it and then it's okay how, how do they learn from that and how do they improve um, and then you know they they build a a more solid foundation and that's where that trust and that relationship comes in where you can take a, a you know i assume the higher level players have a bit of an ego and you have to know when to push and when to pull back a little bit yes that's a, that's a good point so they you know at the tour level there um there are a few prima donnas out there that that uh, you know it's all about them and and so um that's where the relationship you really have to build the trust from both sides and and uh, you know you have to know when to to stay back and, and just sort of, you know, not say much. And you have to know when to jump in and, and, and put your foot down and say, this is what we're doing. Right. So, you know, Steven's issue was, I thought he, he could spend more maintenance practice on his short game. He had all the shots, um, but didn't he like to strike balls. Right. And not enough time was spent on short game in my opinion. So, uh, it was it was so I had to do some play some games with him to get him engaged in the, the process of, of not not just building the skill but but maintaining it right right if you don't practice it and you don't you're not as sharp as you could be right so you want to avoid those those soft bogeys that you might make on on the tournament trail yeah I imagine at that level it's it's a lot of uh, anal- analytics and just breaking down and it's like fractions of uh, strokes here and there um, it is you know, it's so you're, you know, the eye has to be sharper in terms of what you're looking for. Um, and, and you have to be on the same page. So, right. So it's, 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 you need to clear up any belief that, that the player might have. Yeah. Uh, and, and if that belief needs altering, you need to alter that first before you move on. Cause if, if you're in, different stages you believe this and, and they're believing something else that then you either have to change that and have agreeance to it or or go separate ways right absolutely generally you've been uh uh you know kind of a leader in terms of adopting new technology uh in terms of teaching with the aim point yeah, yeah. Uh, and other things uh i'm just wondering if uh what you see the role of technology and if there's anything uh, coming up uh, from a technological standpoint that you can see being uh, uh, important uh, coming up in the future. Yeah, I think a lot of the technology is, is really helped the industry of coaching become better coaches. Um, so I, I enjoy the technology. I, I use it as a second layer underneath the human element. So I'm always working with the human element first and I, I don't want technology to run me. So if you're into technology, just make sure it's, it doesn't run you yeah. and, and, and use it, use it wisely. So yeah. it can be overused quite easily. Just video can be overused. 
um, TrackMan can be overused, all, all the stuff out there. Um, if it's overused, it can be a detriment. Um, so I really tried to, I was one of the first to bring in uh, A-Star video back in 94, I think it was. You know, I spent $25,000 on this video system, uh, which was, you know, and nowadays is archaic. It was at, at the end of paying off a two-year lease. It was basically worth about 1500 bucks instead of 25 grand um, because that was computer driven. So I had a uh, basically a, a desktop in the form of a laptop. And anyways, it was, I, I figured if I'm in the game, I, won't, I better be in the game. Yeah. And people came to me for that technology. Initially, now people come to me for me and, and whether I have technology or not. Um, so there's all kinds of technology out there. So I would, um, you know, just just be smart with how you use it. Uh, Aimpoint was certainly a game changer for me. So I, I started doing Aimpoint in 2011. And it's really, um, I don't know if I'd call it a technology, but it, initially it was. So, you know, it was initially started out to be a computer program to measure gravity's effect on the roll of the ball across the putting surface. And now it's it's so simple to learn it's so simple to teach and it's easy for all levels of players to to get it and it's starting to to catch fire here where where everybody wants to do it because it's simple it's it's effective and it's and it's um uh it's very predictable and it's it's quick and easy right so it's it's uh, it's a no-brainer in my opinion yeah there's you know i was on tour with steven just a quick story uh, we were at the Texas Open in 2014, and I was on the green with Stephen working on Aimpoint. I had a bunch of Aimpoint apparatus on the green, and uh, Steve Bowditch, the Australian player, came up to us and said, you know, what's going on here? And he was curious about what I was doing with Stephen. He said, do you mind if I shadow you? I said, no problem. So he shadowed us for a couple of hours, and, and then he goes out to win the tournament. Right? Uh, so he ends up winning. And Stephen played pretty well. We were, I think, the third to last group. Uh, so we played with uh, Jordan Spieth. Um, and Spieth wasn't hitting the ball as well as Stephen, but he made everything. And I, he finished in the top five, I think, and Stephen was 16th, I think, that, that week. But uh, Stephen just wasn't making any putts. But, but ball striking was – that's his forte. It's better ball striking and not holding enough putts. But um, – the, the aim point for sure um, was a big game changer for me and, and, and continues to be. So um, I'd highly recommend it for, for anybody out there as a player. So absolutely. So, so um, just to kind of paraphrase uh, just for the, for anyone kind of starting out in the golf industry or just being a younger professional, then uh, technology has its place, but it's, it's really uh, like utilizing technology, condensing it and making it, usable and simple for the student that, that ultimately is the, the art of the whole thing. Yes. Use it wisely. So it's all about, you know, as a, as a coach or a teacher, you need to know everything in turn in, in full detail. And then it's, you need to know who's in front of you and how you present it. And, and the simpler you can, um, you know, communicate that the better it is for, for all involved. And, and so it's, it's, um, you know, I have, a, I have a few students that have their own track man and their own simulators at, at their house. And Stephen had one at his house and 
I made the odd house call and some of them would bring their track mats to the range. And, um, you know, I, you know, depending on the student, I, I might just tell them to put it away because they get yeah. too wrapped up in, in numbers. And, um, I remember just being down in Scottsdale one time with Steven and I brought up blast motion. So blast is a, a little sensor that goes on the end of your club that, you know, initially we primarily used for putting yeah. and I brought it out and he said, Oh, the, the rep gave me one of those things. I hate it. Right. So he just didn't know how to use it. There's 14 metrics he was looking at. So he's looking at all these numbers. And I said, you just don't know how to use it. Let me show you how to use it. And he fell in love with it. Right. Just focusing on one number. Right. So what, what do you need to do? And, and so once he understood how to use it and, and simplify it, then it, it was very valuable for him. But, but, you know, if he, he, if he wasn't shown that way, then, you know, he, he never would have gotten the use out of it. So. Paralysis by analysis, huh? Yes, you got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, just in general, I guess, um, to kind of bring it home. Um, yeah. What have uh, we kind of covered, I guess, already, but uh, what, what advice would you have for, if you're just a young professional, kind of like yourself, uh, kind of starting out um, in, the, in the current climate, what uh, what steps would you say would be smart for, for young uh, professionals to take in terms of uh, honing their craft, building their business, and just becoming uh, great teaching professionals? Yeah, I think um, take a look at, at the big picture in terms of, you know, do you want to be a a head professional or a director of golf or an executive professional, or do you want to go down the teaching path? So, you know, where do your passions lie? And you may not know if you're just starting out, um, just like going to university and you don't know what you want to do when you get out of school kind of thing. Um, you know, I was fortunate that I got to see the business from all sides. And then I, you know, I decided that that there was a need for teaching and, and I felt I could make a dignified living doing it. And, and so if, if you choose that teaching path it would or any path, really it's, it's, you know, jump in and, and get after it. Right. So you need to, you can't replace experience. So I learned so much over the years through, you know, mostly through my students, but a lot through uh, self-educating and, and doing that. So, um, you know, you're always needing to how find ways that you can get better. But, you know, when I was an, a young teacher, I thought I knew it all. And the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. So uh, I really, when I look back, I was, you know, you know, likely embarrassed if I went back in time and saw myself teach in those early years, I'd be embarrassed and I'd want to give the people their money back because uh, it wasn't worth it. I was charging $12.50 back when I first started, right? And the head pro was $25 and things, times have changed. Back then, a buck was a buck, right? Um, yeah. We still had bills and no loonies. But, um, <laughs> so I would just say that, you know, find a mentor. You know, mentorship is, is key. Um, find someone that you can trust that, that, that you look up to. Um, maybe go shadow some teachers, that that you you know feel uh, feel pretty high in, in regard, or even even if they don't suit your style, it's good to go you know shadow or get lessons from somebody that you 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 know or a system. I don't coach a system; I coach the player. So I don't 
And I really don't coach the player. I, I coach people, right? For I'm coaching people first and then how to play better golf. So it's all about the people in front of you. And, and so that's where the relationship comes in. Um, so, you know, if, if you know, if you don't believe in stack and tilt, maybe it's a good thing to go learn about it, just so you know what it's all about. Um, so I don't box myself in with a method. Um, and I don't think that's a good idea for anybody because everybody's different. And I think there's more learning styles um, than there are people on earth. Um, you know, we, back in the early days, we were boxed in, well, this guy's visual and this guy's kinesthetic. And so the three different levels of, of learning, there's just so much more out there in terms of how people learn. And um, so I would, I would say you need a thirst for, for educating yourself on, on your subject matter, if it's teaching. So there's lots of things that I've learned outside of golf to help my teaching. Um, yeah. Just, you know, self-help books and other, other coaching, other sports or, you know, lots of different areas. So uh, don't box yourself in just with, you know, YouTube and social media and things like that. But, uh, um, you know, I have to have somebody that, that you can use as a mentor. I have a advisory board that I use. So I have on my students, I have um, some people that I respect in the business world. Um, and I have a few people that, that I just call my advisory panel and I, I meet with them, um, you know, a few times a year to sort of reassess what I'm doing and what they feel um, they might want and, and how I project it. And, uh, you know, just helping me sort of see the, the vision of what the, what the future might hold for the following season, that kind of thing. So uh, use, use some outside influence. That's, that's awesome. It's, it's awesome to hear that, you know, somebody that's had all the uh, experiences that you've had and all the success that you had that um, you're still like humble enough to be a, like a lifelong learner and still kind of looking for new ways to improve. And I think, I think that's a great message for, um, you know, anybody that, that takes it seriously and is trying to yeah, make that their, their career. So um, yeah, it's really great to, to hear that's the process that you still take after all these years. Um, I think it's never ending, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's the, the journey to get, to get better at what you do never ends. And, you know, so it's uh, something that I, I see young pros maybe jump into the teaching. Um, you know, they, they rush into it. Maybe, you know, maybe us as a PGA need to make sure that there's a, there's a baseline um, level of education um, before they're allowed to jump out you know, cause I know that I wouldn't want looking back on what I did, you know, in my early years, I would, I would, uh, you know, like I said, I would have been embarrassed to watch myself, but, um, but you learn from it too. Right. So it's, it's, you'll get your feet wet and, and uh, use, use the people that you think that uh, around you or, or find some mentors that would really help the cause. Right. Awesome. Well, uh, that's, uh, I think we, we got the full, the full uh, time there. So I, uh, I really uh, appreciate that, Paul. I think, uh, um, there's a lot of, uh, good wisdom there and, uh, yeah, appreciate your time and, um, yeah, hope to catch up with you soon. Yeah. Great. Great talking with you. Um, you know, going back just to wrap up on the mentorship, you know, when I first started, um, you know, I, I got George Newton was my first. Oh Yeah 
coach. Right. And, and so, um, I was, I was going to do a, a drive down with a buddy of mine to Arkansas to, to, to try to walk on back in those days, you know, walk on scholarship was, was, um, was more possible then than it is now. So it's yeah. kind of frowned upon now, but, um, Anyways, I, I had spent most of my money with George. So I, I went to George. He was at the National Golf Club in Woodbridge, Ontario. I spent a week with him. Uh, very cool experience. And, and um, you know, when I, I look back, when I won the National Teacher of the Year, it was, it was the first year they had changed the, the, the name to put George's name on the award, which was kind of cool for me. Um, and, and I also had the experience of, when I worked at the summit, we had a secondary range and Mo Norman would come out and practice on a fairly regular basis. And so pretty cool for me to, it was me and Mo and, and he allowed me to, you know, basically sit on the bench and watch him, you know, hit balls into a shag bag, um, you know, back and forth. So it was, uh, I look back on those experiences and realize how privileged I was to sort of have those, those two players and those two men, um, were initial mentors to me. And, and, you know, I had many mentors along the way. And um, Dr. Rick Jensen was a mentor to me uh, in terms of changing my teaching to coaching. So he helped me change into a coaching model back in 2009. But um, so there's, there's mentors along the way, and there might be one that shines the brightest for, for players or for coaches. Um, and I just had a lot of them along the way that helped me helped me to where I've, I've been to and um, look forward to the next bunch of years ahead. So, yeah, I know it's, it's great. And, and, and just to, all those, I mean, just to have uh, a direct link or anybody, um, you know, to, to be able to talk to you and, and learn from you that's, uh, and you've had the opportunity to learn from such uh, like legends of the game. I think that's one of the things that's neat about uh, Canadian golf is we've, we've had such a, a plethora of just elite ball strikers that were just uh, really interesting human beings and, and yeah. really just uh, like kind of legends in their own right. So the fact that you're uh, able to, to know them and, and, and glean that experience and then pass that on to, to any one of us, that's, it's uh, really cool. So um, yeah, really appreciate uh, your time and um, yeah, ho hopefully uh, yeah, we can uh, do more of this kind of stuff in the future. Yeah, it would be great to get together with yourself and a bunch of other guys that are into the coaching and teaching side of things and, and just have a, you know, we've talked about it, you know, out, outside the, this particular call, but uh, just getting some, some, uh, you know, people together that are like-minded and let's, in an informal fashion, even right, sometimes that's the best just to, to. Uh, well, like probably the most, uh, like just to, just from my own perspective, probably the most uh, fun I had talking about uh, golf and just like the methodology, the golf swing and, and everything was just uh, uh, after playing a game of hockey the other the last year there. So that, yeah. that, was, yeah. that was amazing. So, yeah, hopefully we can start to do that a little more often and just kind of spread the knowledge and just grow the game and make everybody uh, feel part of the process and and just uh, just you know, make, make any, every PGA of Alberta uh, teaching professional or just any club professional, just, just, uh, 
be that much more uh, confident and, and just uh, impart that to the, to the students so that uh, everybody's just loving the game just that little bit more. Yeah, it's all about enjoying the journey and the bottom line for any golfer's enjoyment. So uh, if we can add more enjoyment to whoever's playing, that's our job is, is done. And it's kind of ironic that, you know, the, the best coaches will coach the player to, to, you know, if you've done a good job, they don't need you anymore. Yeah. But the game of golf is, is so challenging that, you know, to, to the quest to get better for any player is sort of never ending as well. So that makes right. us pretty lucky. So, yeah, no, it's a for, fortunate position that, uh, that we all have. And as a, uh, professionals and uh, being professionals in Canada and, and um, just uh, being able to like talk to, yeah, to, to really like mentors like yourself. So yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for taking some time out. I know you had a super busy day um, and uh, yeah, ho hopefully uh, we can, yeah, like I said, do this more often. <laughs> okay. Look forward to it, Craig. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. All right. It. Take care, Paul. Okay.